Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Charlotte Le Bon, an actor and filmmaker you might remember from her appearances in Michelle Gondry's Mood Indigo, Lassie Hallstrom's Hundred Foot Journey, or Robert Zemeckis' The Walk. She just turned up at a key role in Mimi Cave's Fresh, and her directorial debut, the charmingly creepy coming-of-age romance Falcon Lake, opens across Canada this Friday, October 14th, after a film festival run that took it to Cannes, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. Charlotte picked Luca Guadagnino's Call Me By Your Name, which was a minor festival sensation itself in 2017, making an instant star of Timothy Chalamet as the young hero Elio, whose summer in northern Italy with his father, an archaeology professor played by Michael Stuhlbarg, leads to a transformative romance with a grad student played by Armie Hammer. The culmination of Guadagnino's Desire trilogy, following I Am Love and A Bigger Splash, Call Me By Your Name had a far more seismic impact on cinematic and popular culture, even if certain elements of it haven't aged as well as others. Also, we recorded this in a space that turned out to be not quite as quiet as I'd hoped. Sorry about the background noise. This is someone else's movie. There is this thing, a quality that is very, very um, precious for me in a movie that when I watched it, I remember I watched it in, in the theaters and I, the, the, the way he filmed everything and the way, the, the places where he decided to put the camera and the way he filmed his actors and he directed them, I forgot that I was in a movie. I was just, you know, he just took me and I traveled with those two guys for like an hour and a half. And, and I feel this is like a quality that I really, really like in movies when you forget that you're actually watching a movie and you're just with them. And, uh, and I think it's, it's a very incredibly difficult thing to do because um, it's all about, um, um, like, it's, it's about stepping back as a director and not trying to impress by, you know, the type of movements that you want to choose or, you know, the, the angles that you want to choose to tell something. And it's really just about the story and make the story the star of, uh, of the film. And, and uh, yeah, so that's why I, I watched it probably like 35 times <laughs> yeah, before, uh, before shooting Falcon Lake. It was a very interesting thing to do. Without the sound, too. You watched it without oh, really? the sound? Yeah, Just well, I watched it a lot of times with sound, but at some point when you really want to understand the way um, he, um, he did his shot list, uh, you, have to, you have to watch it without the sound and everything becomes so much clearer. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I've, I've had that occasionally. I was in, I was in a bar once, and Poltergeist was playing on the big projector, and I realized I wasn't, I couldn't hear it. It just wasn't possible. Yeah. It was often, and I, I realized I was watching it. it. I was actually in the film because I'd seen it enough times. Yes. And then I realized that so much stuff. The eighties were a very iconic time that way because yeah. everything was very dynamic and mm. oiled and glossy, and you, you told the story through the image so you could sell it internationally, right? And yeah. That was the whole point yeah. of all the action movies being so big. And then I thought, oh yeah, Call Me By Your Name is set in the 80s. It's almost like he unintentionally replicated that moment in cinema without making it his aesthetic. It's just this yeah. beautiful ride-along. I didn't think about that, actually. I think the, the, it's such an intemporel. Um, I don't know how... For me, there's no date on the movie. You know, there's something that is just... It could have it happened now. It could have happened like in the 50s. It just... Um, yeah, that's that. That was a quality that I really liked about it as well, because it didn't I didn't feel it was set in time. It was just a very classic, beautiful story and just so beautifully told. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know Timothy Chalamet had been in films before, but that was really the one that 
Yeah, that, that made, made him a star. Yeah, definitely. The, the little smooth icon that he is today. Yeah, he is an icon. To <laughs> um, I, I met uh, Paul Kircher, who's the, the lead in Christophe Honoré's film, mm-hmm. uh, and he, I think he, he has a similar look, mm-hmm. and, the, and the audience responded to him the same way, but he's very consciously trying to move against it, I think. He's growing a little wispy beard, and he's just trying yeah. to set himself apart, and you can see the fight not in the film, but at the festival of his stylist trying to go in that direction and him just pushing back. And I think it's just strange little space to occupy. Like there yeah, could only be one. It's weird because people put like so much. I, I think I probably felt it as an actress as well because you. I mean, some actors are really, really lucky because they get they get cast for their essence and what they really are. I feel this is what happened probably with Timothée because I think he. It feels like what he what he does in his movie feels really similar to what he is the sense in real life. I feel, and sometimes you tend to be miscast a little bit. And I felt like, for my part, I felt like I was miscast a lot of times because because um, I was always being casted in like the roles of like very nice, innocent, young, nice woman. And I felt sometimes I was kind of bored with that vision because I felt it was really cliched and. And I felt I had so much more to express, and I felt a little bit, yeah, caught in that image. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it is a little present, and I feel like there's a lot of actors going through this, and yeah. and yeah, but some actors get really lucky. Yeah, I think the great irony of it is that if you're good enough as that character, people want to see you continue. Yeah, all and, the time in that time. And of you are growing. Yeah. You're already beyond it by the time you finish the, the first shoot, right? Yeah. So you just want to keep trying and you know Chalamet is doing different things and mm-hmm. I think Paul Kircher will be okay yeah. he seems to have a big head on his shoulders for his own direction and his interests that are, mm-hmm. are much more I think he wants to we made a joke about him because um, Honoré had directed Leia Sedu and mm-hmm. now he's directing him as well Sedu makes Bond movies they're looking for the new Bond and he's like I could never but then he kind of thought about it for a second yeah, and he's just like you're going to be fine everything's possible yeah but yeah. he he would I think he would jump at the chance to do something like that not a, not a giant franchise movie but anything that lets him be more physical yes oh um, I totally understand I mean you want a challenge too and that's that's definitely why I mean as an actress that's what I was looking for and for some reason I felt sometimes that I, I would not meet those type of challenges you know? yeah it's it's a I mean, it's a film like, I was trying to come back around to how Michael Stuhlbarg is so revelatory in Call Me By Your Name, but really all three of these, are, and we do have to deal with the Army Hammer of it all. Yeah, it is. Which is incredibly awkward. Now, oh, it is so awkward. Because the film feels, I remember when it, the but movie... But you know what, it kind of ruins the movie a little bit too, that's the thing. I mean, I've, I've watched, I prepped the movie before the everything everything happened around it, and but now I feel like, and I've seen the documentary on Army Hammer as well. Oh, I have not you know, seen that yet. The House, House of Hammer, I think. And it's about his family as well, whatever. And uh, but uh, I feel that if I watch it again now, it's like tinted with something that I don't like, and I feel it's so violent and not sane. Yeah. So I don't think I would be able to watch the movie the same way, which is very sad because I really love this movie. It was I know. Such an inspiration, you know. But I even remember thinking at the time, I may have even written it, that it's just the right side of being a story about an older man taking advantage of a younger boy. Is it? He's not taking advantage. Well, but, but it could be read that way, right? Because of all those... All the, mm. I don't think it is. And yeah. I'm certain that that's not what Guadagnino thinks. Yeah. But, you know, people are constantly looking for... The, like, even now, right now, mm-hmm. in, the, in the UK, there's this ferocity over transgender people and refusing to accept mm-hmm. that there's half the country it's, it's just a wedge issue it's just being used to make the populace angry about something yeah. and in the states there are 
the right-wing trolls are using groomer as an attack word. It used to be pedo, and now it's groomer because it's more insidious mm-hmm. uh, to just slander anyone they don't like and, and make them stop talking and, and frighten them and shame them to yeah. be quiet. And I'm kind of surprised that no one's brought that up yet because if you take you know, two steps back mm-hmm. and come at it with a homophobic lens, this mm-hmm. is a story about a relationship you know, if you step back and hurt, oh yeah, the well... Thing, we, I don't think, like, the, the right... The oh, no, no, trolls will watch Colin Byron. <laughs> that's the thing. I'm that's probably they, why they didn't say anything about I, it. But now I'm surprised they haven't gone after it now because of Hammer. That's when I mean. oh, like, yeah. it, it could be a target. I mean, the movie's already out, so they, I guess they don't really care. But also, I, I don't think they're really sensible to that type of cinema as well, you know? they're. Yeah, that's true. They're not watching two and a quarter hour no, European love stories. No, they're not. And, good and that's too bad for them, you know? Yeah. For them. That's always what I say when people knock a movie for some perceived content. It's like, you know, if you watched it, you might actually find that it's not only not what you think it is, but it could make you think things differently and change I mean, things. But I, they're afraid of that. But even for me, like, it's, it's like uh, La Vida Del from, from Kishish. It, it wasn't even like a homosexual story for me. It was just, it's, it's just a pure love story. And in my movie, it's 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 a boy and a girl. And it didn't, it, there's no difference, you know. Uh, I really feel like, I mean, it's just a story about love and it's such a universal thing to to tell, so I don't know. But they're they're silly and stupid. I don't care. It's exhausting. It really, really is. And then you also have, well, actually, let's go straight into Falcon Lake then, because this is a short episode and I don't want to let it float away. Um, You've made a movie that kind of place with the language of horror cinema. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, but just at Fl- the beginning. Flirting, right? flirting with it. At yeah. the outset, in order to just keep us on our toes the whole time, which I thought was marvelous. You've done a reverse Harold and Molly. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's not that at all. No. But in the first, what, 90 seconds, yes. you you tease us with a completely different tone, mm-hmm. and then it never, I, I just love that. We're in your head for just long enough without understanding it and so for the rest of the movie we keep floating back into it yeah and it's such a it's just such a graceful way to tell the story because you're right it is a love story and it's something we've kind of understand and recognize and something we've seen before yeah but I just ima- I imagine people coming in after the the opening missing that moment and just wondering why everyone else is giggling yeah throughout. you know what I've thought about that too because yeah, yeah there's always like people like, arriving late at the screening and when they do I'm so pissed <laughs> I'm like you, you won't get anything or like it's gonna be, yeah, the, the first the first scene is so so important it really sets the tone for the movie definitely but um, yeah, I mean, it was. I think it took me a, a little time when I was writing it to really find like the identity of the story because I didn't. I, it wasn't like a desire in the beginning to do a coming of age story. It just happened, and it's a very loose adaptation of a graphic novel. And I read the graphic novel, and I really liked it. And I felt like, oh, this is a subject that I I feel like in. I can work with because it was, you know, I've been through, you know, first love and I've been through my adolescence and it's well digested now and I feel like it really, you know, go into it and analyzing with it. And, uh, but but I was like, why do I want to tell this story? Why do I want to do another coming of age story? There's so many of them. And, and in the first version of the script were more classical and we couldn't find financing for the movie, probably for that reason. And then I just started to bring it back to the type of movies that I like and the type of, you know, movies that touches me and that I like to see, which is genre movies. And and I and slowly we really we we got that that um, I added I added this uh, ghost story to it. And once that happened, 
everything like took form, like everything became so much clearer and that's that's when we started to have money for it. But it took a while, like it took like maybe like a year and a half before before we could really find the identity and the color of the story, you know. Mm. Oh, and it's so it's so hard to collapse that tone into two sentences and to, to get people to you know invest in it emotionally as well as financially, yeah. I suppose. Um, yeah, boy meets girl, girl meets boy. There's something in the water. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I, I always say it's just it's the love and ghost story. That's yeah. that's how I that's that's my synopsis. <laughs> Hey, it's Norm, interrupting my own show to tell you about the latest Shiny Things newsletter, my weekly dispatch about physical media, culture, and maybe even the odd streaming thing. Last week, I bent my own rules and reviewed a stage play, The Shark is Broken, and then did a deep dive into the wonderful neo-noir and Jim Sheridan box sets being released by Australia's Via Vision under the Imprint Films label. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Simcast Twitter account. Did you miss me writing about stuff? I did. Come check it out. So we've sort of covered the other point of the the conversation, which is what have what have called me by your name? Have you have you lifted or absorbed? Um, but it's just that when you chose it, it made sense. Like it made perfect sense to me. It's like, oh, of course, yeah. this is an influence. But I wouldn't have guessed it from the movie alone. Yeah. I wouldn't have seen the Guadagnino influence, which I, I think is kind of marvelous because the filmmakers who have tried to do what he does. Have kind of gone wide. He's not my. I have to admit, he's not my favorite filmmaker. I, I, I find. I, I don't. Um, I, I, you know what? I. I mean, what I really like about Guendelino is that he's trying so many different things, and and I really like the and what touched it. What touched me the most in the and what moved me the most in, in *Coming by Your Name* it was the simplicity of it, mm-hmm. and and I'm not a fan of every movie oh, that he does. Uh, but the simplicity of Call Me By Your Name really, really inspired me. And I was always trying, and we didn't have a lot of time shooting at 26 days. We were shooting in film, so everything had to be really restricted. And I was always trying to find a way to tell every scene in, you know, not a lot of shots. So, not a lot of shots, sorry. So, yeah, that's probably why I liked it. But I understand why. Why do you, why, why you're not, are you not I, I find him... He has a tendency towards textural excess, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I just. But did you feel that in Call Me by Your Name? A little tiny bit. I, I just think it could have been a little shorter. And oh, I don't. Okay. But the thing is, I don't know what it cut. Yeah. I, it, it's all essential. It really is. But it moves so slowly. And again, it's one of those things where you see a film during a film festival, and you're just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's the thing where your brain is already going, and the movie is lulling you into its rhythms and so maybe it is just the first half hour we're, we're being introduced to Elio at his pace and we have to understand how restless he feels because nothing is happening and yeah. in my mind it's like yeah nothing is happening I get that I, I, can we have more something happening and oh, then it all starts and it's fine because it's happening inside of him you know yeah. but for me it was enough action because you could feel that there was something just building and growing inside of him and I could really witness it I could you know taste everything it, it was I don't know. I don't agree with you. Yeah, so that's completely fine. Uh, I kind of like that, actually, when that happens. Um, I, I think, for me, my favorite of his is probably still a bigger splash, just because it is so generous to its performances. Mm-hmm. And Call Me By Your Name, just by its own uh, aesthetic, is smaller and tighter and quieter. Yeah. And you don't you don't have a Ray Fiennes barreling into the frame to just mm-hmm. take over for about 20 minutes and then re- 
run away again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have rewatched it, and I watched Stuhlbarg. I just focus on him. Did on you the, see? On the father. Did you see a uh, uh, more? Amor? Yes. That that's beautiful. Did Wait, you like the Anakin more? No, no. Um, oh, a more. A more. That it's called the. Sure. It's one of his first movies. It's with Tilda Swinton. Oh, Guadagninos. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was thinking about Stilbert and going out with the version. I, uh, I think I it's I Am Love. I Am Love, yes, of yeah, course. Yeah. We've actually done an episode on it. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. We've done, this is a third, I think. We have done, uh, yeah, someone picked a bigger splash. We did I Am Love maybe three years ago, I think. It comes up. It comes up in waves. Okay. Uh, the, his films. No one's. Oh, and Suspiria, of course. Jordan yeah. Rivera's picked Suspiria. Yeah. A few months ago for our 400th episode. I do too many of these. Um, <laughs> so this is our fourth, actually. This is our fourth of his films, and no one has picked. Um, bigger splash. No, bigger splash. We did. Okay. I love bigger splash. Suspiria. Now call me by your name. Yeah, that, those are the four that define See, his decade. Just he keeps inspiring people. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and this is good. I mean, this is good too. But I just I come back to Michael Stolberg in the ending and how that defines Hans' character so much. And, and it's and then you watch the film again. I guess is what I'm, I'm trying to come back to. How many? I haven't seen it nearly as many times as you. But yeah. when I've watched it again, I watch Stolberg in the frame. I just follow him and watch him and everything is in his performance. Mm -hmm. He sees their attraction, mm -hmm. he sees what's coming, yeah. he understands, and he's always just about ready to come forward, but he never does. Yeah. And the poise, like a like a cat ready to jump, but in a, in a helpful way. Yeah, and I felt it was so uh, refreshing also to see a story like that being told without uh, antagonists, mm -hmm. you know? People were just like letting them, you know, live their thing and And I felt that was really refreshing because I feel like usually when we, when we tell stories about two men falling in love with each other, there's always like you know a guy you know shaming them or you know somebody shaming them yeah. around them. And it, and it wasn't and it wasn't about that at all. Yeah, know? I think Europe gives them the excuse, right? Because we have um, at the, the West, the North American audience has the illusion that things are better. Yeah. Over there, over there, quote unquote. Yeah, it's just an illusion. I mean, I know. Okay, I trans people are getting murdered, <laughs> even in the street in Europe. So. Yeah. Well, and yeah. we're seeing. Dozens of films with uh, with queer themes here this year that that are doing the same thing. They're sort of trying to avoid the oppression cliche and mm -hmm. just let the characters exist. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the most of the films I've seen this at the festival are actually surprising in that they're not coming out stories at all. They all take place after the fact, and then they'll they'll use genre here or there. They'll they'll use a there's a there was a mystery with with queer themes. I mean, Stranger by the Lake did that as well, where mm -hmm. it's just You know, everybody's out already. We don't need to tell you their awful, tragic coming out story. If yeah. there is one, we just meet them now when they're living. That's such happy. a good movie, Stranger by the Lake. Yeah, such a good movie. No one's picked that yet. Just you know, if anyone's. I should have, maybe, because <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you can pick more than one, I guess. You can I celebrate guess. cinema, but I, I think we're running out of time. But um, I don't want to. The last thing I want to do is be greedy and take up someone else's time. But um, the space that you've given to your cast as well is, is like it's as generous as what he's doing with, with Stuhlberg I think I, I find myself watching everyone in the frame mm -hmm. in Falcon Lake and part of that was just waiting to see if the ghost would show up I think yeah. like the movie has prepared me for something especially with your choice of aspect ratio it's like I'm waiting for something to reach out from the sides yeah. but it made me hyper conscious of all the actors in the frame which mm -hmm. I think is clearly a decision we've given all of them work to do. Yes. No one is just standing around. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, it, I wasn't doing very dynamic shots, you know. It was it, so it was important that that the that the, the the dynamics would come from from the actors moving or or doing something. So we w we would set the frame, and then they were moving inside that frame and creating you know energy inside that frame. So that was yeah, that was a deli deliberate thing. Yeah. And you only had 26 days to shoot, but how long did you get rehearsal time? Did you tell them? No, to not cast? a lot, because uh, we were right in the pandemic, and my actor, uh, Joseph, came from France, so we shot in Quebec, and my actor, my actor Joseph, came from France, and he had to be in uh, in his hotel for two weeks before... Oh, it was that far back? Oh, yeah. Quarantine? Well, it was a year ago, so it was full quarantine, so he had to stay for two weeks, and then I, I think I had like four days with him before the shooting, so that was that wasn't a lot. But I, I trusted him. He's a very, very instinctive actor, even even though he's super young. But um, but he just has it in his veins, you know. He's really, really smart, and uh, and I, I, I knew that he would be all right. And, um, and during those four days that I had with him, uh, I, I worked with him in, and Sarah to do the... I wanted to rehearse like the sensible scene, the more sensual scenes, because I wanted them to be like just... Actually, I did that and I did the dancing scene with, uh, with Joseph, because he was really, really scared of the dancing scene. Probably more than the sensual scenes, which was really funny. But uh, yeah, I wanted them to, you know, go through that so, you know, it would, it would be clear and done in, in, in their head and then we can just move on and do the other stuff. So what's next? Do you have another film plan, more ambitious, a bigger? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm, I think I'm gonna go a little bit more bolder in the genre type, uh, and, and I'm currently writing my second one, who, uh, who which will be uh, very loosely adapted again from a, a story of, um, of one of my best friends, who stayed in a hunted apartment for two months in the city of Quebec. So, yeah. They have those. Yeah. They're, they're there, you know, they exist. My thanks to Charlotte Lebon, whose beguiling first feature, Falcon Lake, opens this Friday, October 14th, across Canada. If you're in Toronto, you'll find it at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. Thanks also to Melanie Mingotu and Zoe Verdier. They know what they did. You can find Charlotte's mostly abandoned Twitter account at Lebon Lebon, all one word, and you can find Call Me By Your Name on Blu ray and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on Hollywood Suite and Tubi in Canada, on Netflix and HBO Max in the U.S., and you can find it to rent or buy on various VOD platforms in the U.S. and Canada. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 45 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week. <laughs>